Welcome to this week's episode of Crime Survivors Speak. My name is Aswat Thomas. I'm the National Director of Crime Survivors for Safety and Justice. We are a national network of 70,000 victims of crimes across the country. I'm very excited about the conversation we're about to have today. So far, we have talked about the history of Crime Survivors for Safety and Justice, and we talked about the flagship model that we advocate for across the country called Trauma Recovery Centers. Today, we're going to talk about why we organize crime survivors. We're going to talk about what it means when survivors turn healing into action. You know, this is such an important conversation for me because organizing was the foundation for my journey to recover from being a victim of gun violence. When I came to the terms with the fact that I wasn't going to be able to play basketball professionally, I decided that I wanted to give back. I decided that I wanted to speak for my friends who are no longer here. I decided I wanted to speak for all uh, victims of violent crime. So I went on to graduate uh, from the School of Social Work at the University of Connecticut and ended up studying community organizing. That connection for me was so clear. You know, going from dealing with something that wasn't my choice to dedicate my life to organizing people to get the chance to have more choices, more choices to experience safety and stop the cycle of violence, more choices to heal and more choices to build a community of survivors from across the country. We're going to hear from two amazing uh, leaders uh, of crime survivor safety and justice, uh, two of the people that have made an immense difference in their states to advocate for new safety solutions. We we, we will use the phrase survivor leaders uh, throughout because that's what these two individuals are. And my two guests really embody that in a way that's absolutely uh, inspiring. For many survivors, organizing is part of the healing journey. So let's hear from two individuals who are leading that work. We have David Gizar, who is a crime survivor and founding member of Crime Survivors for Safety and Justice, who's from Los Angeles, California. And we also have Megan Hobson, a crime survivor and chapter coordinator of the Crime Survivors for Safety and Justice Miami chapter. So let's jump into it. So, Megan, tell us about your story, your journey to becoming a survivor organizer. Thank you, um, Oswald, and thank you for having me on this podcast for this episode. So I became a survivor at the age of 16. I was shot in a drive-by shooting here in Miami Gardens, Florida, and um, I was a high schooler at the time. I was um, in the 11th grade with dreams, hopes of becoming a pediatric oncologist. Um, I had big dreams of becoming this doctor, even though I knew about all the years that laid light ahead of me with the work. Um, and, you know, the shooting, it happened right before the end of the school year. So school would get out and um, in June, you would graduate. Um, and in May, it's like the end of the year. So my shooting took place in April of 2012. And um, all of the things that I thought I was going to be doing, it just changed in that moment. And from that moment on, I was surviving. And without actually calling myself a survivor, I was 
surviving. Um, I didn't feel like a victim always. I was I knew that there was something I needed to do to differentiate the difference between a victim of gun violence and a survivor of gun violence. And so originally my journey was just to let people understand that, see me as that, um, and understand that that means that I have a different way of looking at my life now. I ended up um, becoming a part of a project. It was called SHOT, 101 Survivors of Gun Violence. It was a photo book. It was the first um, photo book that I'd ever seen that highlighted and used the word survivor. Um, and uh, that was about three years after my shooting. So I, I say that to say it was a long time, even though I was sharing my story, for me to really go on the f on the forefront of my story and say I'm a survivor in a bold way. And um, I ended up becoming the cover of that book and just going and talking locally in my community about what trauma recovery was and the importance of it. And um, that's how I ended up with Crime Survivors for Safety and Justice. <laughs> I met Savash there at um, that book release. And I was just so moved by the work, the way in which he talked about how we were centered in the survivor's experience. Like everything about that to me is um survivor organizing like that's organizing and elevating and uplifting the survivor's experience and using that to push whatever the change is that we are envisioning and um so that's what i was doing i i just saw myself doing it now with cssj and so i have been healing through action i would say with the organization for the past four years it's different because it takes me beyond advocacy it's no longer just about going to the capitol it's about working on the legislation and then taking it to the Capitol and then seeing how it really helps and then coming back and talking to my community about it. And then outside of that, holding space for my survivor community to come and share and heal together. So for me, that's been my journey of healing. And now I'm able to, I'm in a position I feel like to help others in my community heal. Um, and so it's been a ride, but it's been a interesting one. So thank you for the question. No, thank you, Megan. And uh, Megan, I want to take you back a little bit um, I remember meeting you uh, almost what, four or five uh, years ago uh, for the first time. You know, I, I came to Miami. We met at a local uh, restaurant. And for me, it was a, a life changing experience um, because I was able to connect with someone, you know, who's a survivor of gun violence uh, like myself. And I remember, um, you know, just meeting you and we talked about our experiences and, you know, the, the physical trauma that we went through, the psychological trauma that we went through. But we were able to kind of bond over that experience of being a survivor. We've been connected. We'd love to hear from you. Um, how was it, you know, meeting another survivor of gun violence and being able to, you know, to someone that you can relate to that often we we don't get to, you know, talk to other survivors who've been who survived gun violence and what was the impact and kind of, you know, what were you thinking about when when, when the two of us uh, you know, met as survivor leaders? Yeah. So oh man, so like a trip through memory lane. So I definitely remember that conversation. We sat in that restaurant and I feel like it was so profound to have that conversation with you because it was from a male's perspective. So one, yes, you were talking to me about things that I, I deeply resonated with, but then two, um, I was hearing it from a male's perspective. I was hearing it from someone who is actively doing this work because um, it's not just a survivor who is like, I just survived my experience, but I don't talk about it. It was someone who's really actively working across the country to bring spaces like what I was trying to bring to Miami um, and making them a reality. So I felt really empowered um, in that meeting. And I just remember I was 22 years old at the time. <laughs> and I was just like, you asked me, so what do you do every day? 
what is your life like? And I said, this is it. I um, I talk to survivors every day and I hold spaces for them in whatever way they are um, needing. And um, that's my life. I said, I, I live by what it is, which is my experience. And so, um, yeah, our relationship from there, it was always, I think, affirming to see you in a space um, and to know that our experience is similar. And even when we would go and be in Tallahassee to even be at, in meetings with you and know there's two people who have survived gun violence at this table um, and we're changing things. It felt really good and it still feels very good, you know, so. Yeah, yeah. Healing through action. That's what it's yeah. about. So, so David, David Gizar, uh, you know, from Los Angeles. Uh, David, would love to hear from you, you know, you know, please tell us a little bit about your story and about your healing journey and what it means from your perspective to be a, a survivor organizer and also a founding member of Crime Survivors for Safety and Justice. Cool, cool. Yes. Hi, everyone. Um, my name is David Gisar. I am, um, as you mentioned, Aswad, I'm from Los Angeles. And, you know, in 1983, my, my oldest brother, um, Oscar, was murdered. And, and I remember... Um, you know, just how tragic that whole experience was um, as a young kid, 10 years old, you know, just doing my thing that morning, um, you know, helping out a family decorate a car with, with little paper flowers for uh, a quinceañera. And, um, you know, my, my, my sister-in-law, she just popped out of nowhere. I haven't really seen her in a while. And, and she was like, hey, your mom. And I like, you know, kind of let her know how to get into the apartment and then um she was able to get there and I was I was I was in the parking lot I I could hear my mom right behind me and and uh so to be able to hear my mom you know like scream out like the loud like no 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 um and just cry and I was like damn like what happened right so I went inside and and um yeah so at a very young age man I I um you know, lived through that experience of of seeing you know that impact of that trauma, um, you know, with with my mom and and um, and I think I just went like on like auto mode, you know, to 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 not not um, you know feel like what I was experiencing in terms of sadness and and um, you know the the need to cry and and all of that. I just felt like. Um, you know, when I reflect on that, I, I I was in shock, right? I was in shock. I was in disbelief um, that that was happening. So um, I didn't think I would grow up to be like 18 years old. You know, my brother was murdered when he was 17. So so for me to get to 18, 19, 20, it was just like, wow, like I'm making it through this, right? So um, that really haunted me, you know, that whole experience and and just the experience of seeing so many fallen um uh, people in in my community. Uh, shortly after losing my brother, I think within months, um, another young man uh, was murdered at a at a place that we had just moved into. Um, and I remember, you know, just trying to help and holding this guy, and and he ended up not making it uh, through that through that um, shooting. You know, so very direct. You know, right there in the midst of it. You know. Um, but I did, I began to kind of like talk about it, you know, and um, even though I wasn't well, I think it really um, opened up um, a spiritual uh, element in my life that has taken some time to to mature, you know. 
David, can you talk a little bit about, you know, your, you know, you know, you know, you becoming, you know, a member of Crime Survivors Safety and Justice and, 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 and from your perspective, like, you know, you've organized survivors, you know, for, for years uh, in California. Now you're doing it across the country. Can you talk a little bit, you know, what does Survivor Organize uh, uh, mean, mean to you? As a founding member of, of Crime Survivors for Safety and Justice in, in 2012, um, I was invited by by a good friend of mine, Akila, you know, Shirelles, to to um, to be a part of uh, Crime Survivors for Safety and Justice. You know, a couple of months later, my my brother Gilbert, you know, was murdered um, as well, and and that was really really devastating. So I I, I walked into to that situation, um, you know, fresh. Of, of of losing another brother fresh off of reliving a lot of that trauma um in in my family uh from from a different angle right uh being older i quickly learned uh uh that accessing services and and um and the support that my family needed uh not just in my household but my brother given that he was older and he had he has children that they needed services, and and I, I was finding these things out on, on on in in the moment. So so my that experience and my experience of being at the table with with other survivors um, in the formation of Crime Survivors for Safety and Justice grew into, um, you know, sharing my story from a different perspective, uh, a perspective of of what happened. Uh, what has been missing and how can we as a collective advocate for the support that is needed in our community? I have heard you, Oswald, share about, you know, your incident, right, of, of that the young man who shot you had been shot uh, four years before. And, and what could have it looked like if he would have been helped, right, um, in, in my in my assessment of, of the young man that shot my brother Gilbert in 2012, he ended up shooting my brother over like the stupidest thing, you know, uh, real minor, something that we could easily deflate our ego and, and walk away from. And, and uh, he unfortunately made the mistake of doing that. Um, he's now in prison. Uh, my brother is no longer with us physically and his kids miss him a lot and and there's a lot of untreated trauma, you know? So that's why advocacy is important. That's why sharing my story is important. That's why I know that I'm not the only one, right? When I'm listening to Megan and her sharing of her story in, in Miami and I'm like in LA and you're, uh, you were out there in, uh, in Michigan, Connecticut, in those different areas, it's like, man, we share the same, uh, um, you know, similar elements of our experiences uh, tied together, you know. Yeah, thanks, David. So let's talk about that, right? You know, talk about, you know, uh, each of us, you know, have, you know, uh, been through uh, uh, experiences, but uh, but all of us have kind of, you know, taken those experiences to being able to help. Uh, you know, organize other people and help uh, train leaders to change policies. So you all have, you know, trained other survivors uh, across the country in your communities as organizers and, and also as advocates. And you also have worked to pass uh, legislative reforms uh, in your states. So, Megan, um, you know, you are currently the, the, the Crime Survivor for Safety and Justice Chapter Coordinator 
uh, for the Miami chapter. Uh, so tell us what it's like, you know, what are, what are some of the things that you do um, within your chapter and what have you seen, some of the impacts you've seen emerge from uh, your work uh, with survivors in Miami? Miami is such a unique city in its in itself. There's a lot of things that happen in Miami. I think violence here is something that many of us have normalized, um, honestly and unfortunately, because we are somewhat desensitized to it. And I think it's because um, many of my members have found it as a way to cope. Um, and so knowing that when I became the coordinator, I want to be very intentional that my members were um, able to access whatever tools we can access um, on a community level that would be helpful for where they're at in their journey um, and helpful for what they need right now to heal. And um, some examples of that is uh, myself and my co-lead, Trinice, oftentimes would get together in a room and um, really sit and think, like, who are some people in the community that we could bring together right now based on their skill set? We would think of um, psychologists. We would think of people who are using trauma-informed approaches of having conversation, like conscious conversations with our survivors. I developed a curriculum with our members where annually we'd have an event, um, and the theme was Healing Comes in Waves. And we would go out by the beach because we are surrounded by water here in Miami. We are fortunate to have that. And so um, we went out to the beach, and we would just sit and have um, meditations, and we will write love letters to ourselves as survivors and love letters to our loved ones um, as on Valentine's Day. Or we would have moments when we go out there and we light a candle um, during National Crime Victims' Right Week for one of our loved ones. And when we're on the beach and we're having those um, those like moments together as a as a joint community, what we really get to see and experience is that looking back at us is a reflection of our journey. Um, that's what the waves represent, that sometimes, you know, the tides are high, sometimes it's low. Sometimes you are on the top of the wave and you're riding it and you're just, that's what it feels like. You're floating above your healing journey um, or you're somewhere in between struggling. And so um, our members come together and they utilize that space to really look at their their healing journey from a different lens. Um and outside of that, we have um, a lot of times where we just come together and think of ways we can heal. We've had healing through expression. So we've had dance um, or we've had um, painting. We've had spoken word movement that would be like uh, mindful movements or just like shaking and moving around, jittering. Why we do them in our chapters because our members don't have access to therapy sometimes and they don't maybe they don't want to to be in the space they're not in the space right now where they want to talk to a therapist talk therapy is not for everyone but what i have found through the work we do in our chapter is um it means something when someone looks to you and unlike people who walk past you day to day and you can say oh they don't know anything about what it's like to be me you're in a space where someone looking at you might actually know what it's like to be where you are in your journey and so rather than having the right word to say, because sometimes there are none, you're just there and you are not alone. And you know that in that moment, because you're in a room surrounded by people who are just like you surviving and choosing to do it um, daily. And so with each, um, you know, opportunity you to get with more members, you learn more things. Or sometimes in smaller spaces, you learn more about an experience. Um, when it comes to how we do legislation, a lot of um, a lot of that comes out of policy retreats that we have. We think about our experience. So sometimes it's getting our community leaders in a space and saying, 
like David said earlier, what is it that you needed in the aftermath um, that you didn't have access to? And if you could do something different, what would that be? And that might change based on how, you you know, I've been probably doing this for five years and maybe it doesn't feel good. I don't feel like these are wins anymore. How do you lift that up and, and still encourage them to keep going in the work? You do so by saying, we're all here in this time. And just because we think that we're not doing anything, we have to remind each other of all that we've done Um for each other along the way. So the support has been one of the most um, rewarding things, I think, about our chapter here. Yeah, and I think, um, like, you know, that peer-to-peer support uh, that we provide, that community uh, that we provide, the opportunities to do different activities, whether it's meetings and, and healing vigils and and going to Survivor Speak, you know, like the benefits of, of being part of this, this this community, you know, you can't put a price on that. You know, you can't put a price on, you know, connecting with other survivors who you're going to have a, a, a lifetime uh, connection and in a relationship uh, with and but also you're you know through this process you know we're going to help train you you know to be a leader uh, to change policies to bring those resources and communities David would love to hear from you about you know about the trainings that you are facilitating like what what, what do you talk about uh, in those trainings what's some of the content and also what how has the trainings uh, that you've been doing how has it impacted the participants you know part of of the role that I've I've served in is uh, facilitating the building a network of leaders to win uh, new safety priorities, right? So with the building a network of leaders uh, element of our of our training, um, you know, it gives us the opportunity to reflect on on that timeline of where we started doing our advocacy, right? Um, in California, we talked about SB 580. That gave us the opportunity to uh, work on 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 California, coming out of a deficit, financial deficit, had uh, a surplus in victims' compensation. Right, so we talked about how we worked with a champion, uh, Senator Leno, to bring this bill uh, alive that had already been vetoed, uh, to bring it back, and we ourselves went to advocate and say like, hey, I need trauma recovery. I need a trauma recovery center in my community. It uh, provided the funds for the first three uh, trauma recovery centers, right? And then we rolled out uh, Prop 47 that gave us an opportunity to um, uh, reduce incarceration of low-level crimes, uh, petty theft, receiving stolen property, uh, possession of, of of drugs for use and and things of that nature, right? Uh, to name a few, and and um, and, and and that set off uh, a reduction in, in incarceration in our prison system, and it also uh, led to savings of costs, right? That and then that money was redistributed uh, through a very sophisticated system within the the state. Uh, for that money to make its uh, its way back available, so I think that that the training is important because people get to step back and see themselves. And I think that the the activity within our curriculum that really hits home is when we do the landscape analysis. Right in the landscape analysis, the survivor being in the middle and around it, you know, kind of like clockwise, we're we're able to see. 
what the systems that are in place that could respond to us at a time of need, right? The school district. I was 10 years old, Megan, when my brother was murdered. I went to school and I was walking like a zombie, like, where do I go to, right? Uh, so we talk about how did that school district respond to my need? How did, uh, um, you know, children's services, family services respond or probation or parole, right? So so it, it, I think it gives us a, a, a lens for people to put themselves in the middle and evaluate and assess how that system has worked for them or has not, and how do we activate uh, members to 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 uh, even create ideas for different laws. Cool. So, so David, you were just talking about policies, right, and the impact uh, of, of how survivors, you know, work to. Um, advocate for more trauma recovery centers, advocate for things like Proposition 47. Uh, Megan, uh, you worked on a historic bill uh, in the state of Florida in 2019, the most uh, expansive criminal justice bill uh, in Florida in the past uh, 20 years um, with the passing of HB 7125. So what's the story of that bill, of, of that bill, HB 7125, and what was it like to see the bill created from a room of survivors um, and is now in statute um, to better help survivors uh, in the state of Florida? Oh, man. Um, so that is definitely like that was, I think, one of the highlights of that year for me, 2019. It was just the passing of HB 7125. And um, a little over 20 of our survivor leaders um, come together in Miami um, for three days. And we um, just really, like I said earlier, we sat down and talked about some of the things that we really wish we had um, in, like when we were healing or that we knew um, about in the aftermath of our experiences. And when we came together and really showed that out as survivor leaders, it, we came and brought our experience to that space. But we also came and brought all the experience of the stories that we hold space for in our community. So like for me, I was in that space thinking of myself as a survivor of gun violence, of my mom and my sister and what it is that they, um, that I wish people knew about them and what they would need as a survivor of this same crime. Um, we took it a step further. I thought about the survivors that I'm often on the phone with late at night um, who just, it's just needing to talk to someone or, you know, they're on the phone saying I'm up researching um, all this stuff because a lot of times survivors feel like they have to be their own advocate. Um, they feel like they have to advocate for their self and their loved one um, to get any sense of healing. And so we brought those experiences together. And um, over three days, we did several activities that we, um, we was like, you know, if we could have our own law, what would that be? You know, if we could think about um, something in our after in our experience and, and apply that to make sure that the experience for someone else is easier, what would that thing be? Um, and we went, we were in about, um, five groups. And over those three days, we really were able to come up with some concrete things that ended up becoming what was on our agenda for um, HB 7125. And the passing of that, it being historic in itself, um, the first of its kind in 20 years, that's a big deal. But um, it felt good to know that survivors did this. We did this. We came together um and no one could have done this better than we did because this is about us. Um, oftentimes, survivors are missing from these conversations when it relates to what do survivors need? Someone's saying what we need, and they haven't experienced it. Um, and so knowing that this was something that was past, but it was coming from just our pain, 
that just showed us how we could transform anything in our experience into something different. And with us bringing it together, we were able to highlight some of those issues and we removed some of those barriers that were restricting our survivors from getting access to resources. Um, one of those barriers was a timeline, um, reporting time. Um, Prior to the passing of HB 7125, you had about 72 hours to report your crime and you would get resources up to, um, I believe, a year. Um, and uh, when we went to Tallahassee um, with our survivor leaders, we went from taking 25 leaders to like 45 leaders from Miami alone um, to go and talk about this. And um, all of them said, we need more time. And so, you know, what we did. We got more time. So we moved it from um, 72 hours. Um, I believe you have a year now. Um, to report and you have um, and can receive services up to three years um, after victimization. And that in itself, if you don't understand how big of a deal it is, just think about in the aftermath of any of our experiences. David, like you said, you went back to school. Um, for me, I didn't go back to school, but when I returned the next year, I was going to therapy and going to school at the same like you know course of time. And I wasn't thinking about filling out a form <laughs> to go and get some victim's compensation. Um, I don't even think people realize that I just became a victim yesterday. I'm not even comfortable, um, you know, filling out a form saying that this is who I am. This is not me. And so um, now we have time for survivors to really take a, take a, a moment to process what has just happened to them and then actually move into a space where they can use utilize some of those resources um, that are now accessible to them. Um, and we also removed barriers that will allow people who are living with um, previous um, convictions uh, um, who are returning citizens and should be able to work and um, reduce the cycles of crime and not having to go back and um, do anything just to put food on the table. We made it where they were able to get um, certifications to do things like simply cutting hair, being a barber, um, just giving people an opportunity to reclaim normalcy in their life um, and purpose in their life or whatever that looks like. That's what that that felt like um, when it came to that being a win for us. The journey to doing that, I think, you know, so many of um, our leaders in California as well, because we had to really pull on and say, hey, things that are working in other places, we should see how it could work for us, you know? And so having another model, our, our sister model to go off of was really important in that process as well. Um, and knowing our legislators and having real conversations with them. So it was all necessary. And it was good. It was a good run. And it's just so just so powerful, uh, just like how, you know, survivors, you know, in that room uh, in Florida came together and, and, and looked at the barriers, but offered solutions uh, to those. And so being able to pass uh, that bill in Florida, uh, being able to pass the bills we've worked on in California and across the country, not only survivors are working to, you know, remove barriers to victim compensation, not only survivors are advocating for more uh, uh, services for survivors, uh, more trauma recovery centers, uh, protections for survivors. But survivors are also, you know, really elevating their voice as it relates to criminal justice reform. So, Megan, you just talked about how that that bill in Florida, HB 7125, not only removed barriers and increased access services for survivors, but also those coming out of the justice system being able to help those individuals access uh, jobs, right? And so that is important. Like, that is safety. Uh, that's public safety. And, that, and that's ensuring that survivors are at the center of conversation. So, David, we'd love to hear from you. Um, what is your uh, vision for safety in this country? First of all, people need to be treated like, like humans, right? 
Um, I think um, at the core of what we're speaking about, uh, when when something um, was missing in our lives, um, I remember when I when I wanted to to get some information around victim services at the district attorney's office after my brother was murdered. Um, I couldn't get that, you know, when I wanted to get some help for my mom uh, after my brother Gilbert was murdered, I, I, I couldn't get that. Right. And it, and it really, um, inspired me to, to continue to do the work. And unfortunately, uh, we're seeing this, this part of my, of my vision as the aftermath. We know that things like that happen, um, in a way of prevention, there's definitely needs to be more investment in our communities, urban communities, right? There needs to be a, an investment of, 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 of parks and regs. There needs to be an academic investment uh, for our schools and our after-school programs, enrichment programs. Um, there needs to be an investment in, in law enforcement uh, needing um, to have um, coping skills and, and the skill set to to better uh, deal with with the community that it's there to protect and to serve. The approach needs to be holistic, right? Um, mental health, emotional health. Um, there there's needs to be a, a very comprehensive approach to to what public safety looks like. It needs to be. Um, safety for all. Uh, it needs to be equitable. There's a real need for for nutrition in our communities, man. You know, a healthy body is a healthy mind. You know, um, so the, I mean, there's just so uh, you know, safety is multi layered, man. And and I think that um, the beginning of this conversation um, is opening up that imagination for people to really be creative and and insightful of how beautiful life can be, man. We used to play baseball. Baseball is my first passion, you know, and, um, with a, with a broomstick and rocks, man, that was how we got down and we had innocent fun. You know what I mean? We need to provide those type of environments for children, uh, for families to be able to laugh and enjoy. Right. Um, we know that victimization is, is, um, way more than what we've shared, which is gun violence. We know that there's sexual assault. We know that there's domestic violence. We know that there's so many different elements of harm that exist and that our network has grown into, right? That we speak to that, that we're bigger than the gun violence uh, that has happened in our experiences and that we're respectful of that process. And, 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 and we learned that inclusiveness is important uh, for for this work, and so that is the type of um, adapting that public safety needs to be open to, you know. Yeah, but thank you, David. One thing that I that you didn't share about what safety, uh, your your vision for safety was incarceration, right? So for those of you who are you know listening to today's podcast, you know when you talk to uh, survivors, it's, it's services, it's, it's more programs for youth, it's mental health treatment, drug treatment, it's all of those things that we have taken away from communities for decades to invest in, in criminal justice systems. We're, we're, we're not safer. 
Um, you know, what safety is, is more investments in, in, in a lot of things. And it's not just on, on, on incarceration. So Dave, David, thank you so much for sharing of how, uh, what, what safety looks like uh, to you and what safety looked like uh, to all of us, uh, which is being able to, you know, to, to be outside uh, in our community and playing little things like baseball, right? Things that bring, bring us joys. And that's how we have to get our communities back to where our, our, our children and youth and communities are, are, are safe. Um, uh, cause that's what safety looks like. Uh, safety is not just, uh, locking people up and, and throw away the key. Uh, Megan, uh, before we close tonight, I want to hear from you, uh, Megan and David with closing remarks. Uh, but Megan, uh, what does healing through action uh, mean to you? When we talk about the cycle of crime, we have to also think about all the people who are affected by this cycle. And sometimes, though, I might never know what it's like to be um, the one who pulls the trigger. I know what it's like to be on the other side of the gun. And so I think um, healing through action is about having that conversation, reaching across to someone who might be on the other side and saying, I don't know what it's like to be you, but I want to understand what made you do that? Um, what is it that you needed? You know, taking these same questions that we asked our survivor members, but asking, and I've done this, gone into, um, you know, Everglades Correctional here in Miami-Dade and just talked to some of these um, some of these brothers in blue about what is it that made you do what you did, right? And um, if you could apologize to someone, you know, if you hurt somebody and you don't know, but you could apologize to them, would you? And, you know, me not knowing who I was, you know, no, not knowing who shot me, um, who that person is um, I allowed that. I allowed that conversation and that opportunity of forgiveness to be brought into the forefront of both of our experiences. Healing isn't linear altogether. For everyone, um, it looks different. There's no carbon copy. There's no right or wrong. It's just what works for you. Um, And as long as you're doing something and not just sitting there and saying, I'm a victim and, and you know, that's all I'll ever be. I feel like when it comes to that, there are no victims. That's a volunteer. And I choose to not be a volunteer to my victim experience. So um, I definitely think that that's what healing through action is for me and continuously having conversations in our community that will let people know that we survivors just want to be heard and seen and know that we're safe and know that the people who are supposed to at least care about how we heal in our community, that they're doing those things. Um, so for my members, that's what it looks like. And so long as that's what they want and they need, I'm working with that, you know? So that's what it looks like to me. <laughs> Thank you so much, Meg. And you, David, what does uh, healing uh, through action mean to you? It's the pause, you know? Um, obviously, um, we spoke in in context of what it means to be a survivor leader um as we were getting ready to to um to jump into this beautiful conversation this afternoon um you asked us to pause right to take that that deep breath and and um if we're going to be able to continue and and be um efficient in what we're doing um you know we need to pause right and and take care of ourselves thank you so much david uh thank you uh megan um in the united states alone um there are many survivors uh just like us uh, in fact there is an estimated about 66 million people were victims of a crime uh, in the last 10 years and in half of them uh, were victims of a violent crime so that's about 31 a uh, million Americans have been uh, a victim of a crime and, and tens of millions uh, like us, you know, aren't receiving the help uh, and the healing and the support 
uh, that they need. And, and, and this must change. And, and you all as, as survivor leaders are working uh, to change that. So just want to thank you all so much for joining uh, today's episode, you know, you know, the opportunity to hear from you all as survivor leaders and in, in, in organizing, but most importantly, how survivors are coming together uh, to heal uh, and, and also uh, change policies as well. Uh, once again, uh, thank you so much, uh, David and Megan, uh, for being with us here today. Uh, for those of you who are, are listening, um, you want to get involved with Crimes Fire for Safety and Justice, uh, join a local chapter. You can go to our website at www.cssj.org uh, to join Megan's chapter uh, in Miami or to join uh, Davis chapter in, in, in Los Angeles. We have over 40 chapters across the country and growing. So we are always looking for volunteers, always looking for leaders across the country uh, to help us be part of chapters, but also to help us launch uh, more chapters as well. You can also uh, text the word survivor right now. So text the word survivor to 97779 to join a crime survivor for safety and justice. As always, it's been a pleasure to talk with you, uh, David and Megan. Thank you all so much for being a guest on today's episode of Crime Survivor Speak. If you want to tune into the podcast, you can go to cssj.org backslash podcast where you can uh, watch this video. You also can listen uh, to the podcast on, on Spotify, uh, Amazon, uh, Playlist, uh, iTunes, and all streaming uh, platforms to listen more to crime survivors from across the country that are healing uh, through action. When survivors speak, change happens. Thank you all. <laughs>